Well, good morning, and it's wonderful to be here with all of you again today. And as we've been talking about, uh, as you know, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed week by week, and we've been taking sections from it and preaching on what we believe as a church here at Crossroad. And so far, we've talked about uh, these parts of the Apostle Creed. We've talked about, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But today, we're going to focus on this section. We're going to focus on suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, descended into hell on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And this is some of the main basics for our Christian faith, and we're going to dive into it a bit, but before we do that, let's just take a moment again to pray together real quick. So Lord, we ask that you would be here with us in this time. We thank you for the fact that we could worship you freely. Thank you for the uh, work that you were doing in uh, Thailand that we were able to hear through uh, Travis and Jennifer and many others that are there, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your word, that we could study it and worship you freely, and we ask that you would be, you and your spirit would be here to comfort us and guide us and to be open to what your word has to say. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, death comes for us all is part of a quote from Robert Bolt, the famous playwright and screenwright, where he said, death comes for us all, even at our birth. Even at our birth, death does but stand aside a little. And every day he looks towards us and muses somewhat to himself whether that day or the next he will draw nigh. It is the law of nature and the will of God. So unless the Lord comes in our lifetime, death will come for us all. And as scary as that sounds, as a little throwback to Pastor Rick's latest message, death is only the second most thing that people are afraid of happening to them outside of having to do public speaking. So you can imagine how nervous I am thinking and talking about death and publicly speaking in front of everybody. So bear with us as we are today. Um, But in all seriousness, outside of when the Lord returns and calls his saints home, death will come for us all. We will all experience death, and today we're going to talk about a death, though, that isn't like the rest. This history of his death didn't end in death. His body didn't turn into dust and ashes like everyone else's who dies. This death served a bigger purpose. We're talking about the death of Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand that because of our identity in Christ, Jesus suffered as a man. He was crucified as a man. He was dead as a man, and he was buried as a man. We as Christians believe Jesus was like us and that he was fully human. However, we as Christians also believe Jesus was unlike us and that he was fully divine. He never sinned. And Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, Jesus never sinned as he was fully divine, but on earth he was also fully human, so he was tempted and did feel things like we do as well. And in the Apostles' Creed, we see that it says Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's important to know and believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate because he was like us and that he endured stress, temptation, Hunger, anger, pain, betrayal, thirst, weariness, sorrow, all those that are human attributes. And Lee Strobel says, because he did suffer as a man, Jesus is sympathetic to our temptations, to our weaknesses, our suffering, our sickness, our disappointments, our mourning, and our sadness. But Jesus is different from us, although that he is sinless. 
And Hebrews 7, 26 to 28 says, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. But he's also like us in every aspect that in Hebrews 2, 17 to 18 says, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. And 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. Christ Jesus alone mediated between God and man because he alone is the God-man, fully man and fully God without sin. So Jesus was fully man, and therefore he did suffer under Pontius Pilate, and he did not sin, though, and he did not waver in the process, so he's also fully God. Now, after Jesus' time with Pontius Pilate was up, and Pilate washed his hands of him and sentenced him to death, Jesus is taken from Pilate's court to the hill of Calvary. He's so weak that a Jewish man named Simeon from northern Africa is made to carry the crossbeam. Then the painful, gruesome part was being bestowed upon our Savior. He had to go to the cross and be crucified. And on the hill of Calvary, Jesus is placed on the cross. Nails are driven through his wrists and feet to hang him on the cross. Now Jesus went in my place, and he went in your place. But he is, because he is sinless and we are not. But he willingly went as a sacrificial lamb in our place. And for roughly the first three hours on the cross, Jesus experiences physical and mental suffering from people. Multiple different groups ridiculed and mocked him. And in Matthew 27 to 39, 27, 39 to 40, the crowd was mocking him. And in fact, they used the same questioning words of, if you are the son of God, that Satan used when he was tempting Jesus. They said, if you are the son of God, then you can come down from the cross. They challenged him to prove his deity by coming down from the cross. Then in verses 41 to 43, the leaders are mocking him and saying, he saved others, can't he save himself? And we know even starts out with the thieves hanging on the cross next to him, insulting him regularly. And Satan used all of these as a final temptation to keep Jesus from making the payment for me and for you. And while this is bad enough, it's nothing compared to the next three hours on the cross, where, the, where the, all the sins of the world from the past, the present, and the future are being dumped on Jesus. And as a result, for the first time in his humanity, Jesus is separated from the presence of the Father. He's suffering our spiritual death, separation from the Father, because that separation, that's the penalty for sin. And it's also the payment for our sin. And he shouts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then sometimes later, Jesus asked for something to drink. And he did this as part of the suffering of crucifixion causes the body to dehydrate. The mouth becomes dry and the tongue sticks to the roof of the mouth and it's impossible to speak clearly. So he asks for something. He says, I thirst. And Jesus has given vinegar or sour wine to moisten his lips and mouth. 
And he asks for this liquid because the next word that he speaks is the most important word in all history. With his tongue and mouth moistened so everyone can be able to hear, he cries out in a loud voice, Tetelestai, it has been finished. Mission accomplished. And this tells us it was not Jesus' physical death that paid the penalty for sin. It was his spiritual death. It was a separation from the Father. And while still alive, Jesus proclaims to all, sin is no longer just covered over by a sacrificial lamb. It's now been paid for and taken away by the Lamb of God. It has been accomplished, finished. And within a short time, Jesus speaks his next words. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with this, he bows his head and breathes out and releases his spirit. And Jesus physically dies, and not only because of the crucifixion, but because his work is done. Now, Dr. Hunt was, was a teacher of one of my Bible studies and really broke down this word tetelestai. And the word tetelestai, it has been finished, had a significant meaning in that day because accounting records have been discovered from that time. And over all the accounts that had been paid was the word tetelestai. And it was a bookkeeping term meaning paid in full. Account closed. Now, if we think of the records of our lives and deeds, on our account sheets, there could be a, a list of good deeds. But there's also going to be a list of bad deeds or disobediences. And we may have twice or three times as many lists of good deeds. But there's still a problem. Because heaven is perfect. God is perfect. So anyone who wants to spend eternity with God has to be perfect. And that means that we can never be good enough to make it. So the penalty and payment for not being good enough is separation from God. And this is why Jesus came, that on the cross he was separated from the Father. He made the payment. Then he put it on deposit with God the Father. Now we have a choice. We can make our own payment, which means that we'll be separated from God forever. Or we can ask God the Father to credit the payment of Jesus to our account. And that when we do, the Father writes across our account sheet, paid in full, account closed. Because Jesus was separated from the Father, if we accept his payment, we never have to be separated from the Father. This is good news. It's the best news that we could ever hear. It's why Jesus came and was crucified in our place. Now, once he died... The curtain was torn in two, and for over 1,400 years, there was a heavy curtain or veil that separated the priest from the presence of God. And God now tears it open from top to bottom. And God the Father is saying, the way into my presence is open by what Jesus has done. Even those who are not holy, or even though we are not holy, when we accept the payment of Jesus, his payment and holiness is put onto our account. And this means that God now sees the holiness of Jesus. He sees us as he sees his son, Jesus. With confidence, we can now come into the presence of a holy God to ask him for help. But even better, we can actually have a relationship, a friendship with him, and he enjoys us. So with that, we, we've talked about Jesus' suffering under Pontius Pilate, his crucifixion and his death. And with that being said, High Sabbath begins at sundown. And Jewish law says that bodies cannot be on the cross during Sabbath. And the Romans actually, actually respected this religious law of the Jewish people. 
And so in this time, over about the last year before Jesus had died, two Sanhedrin members have secretly been believing in Jesus, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And later in the afternoon, they go to Pilate asking for Jesus' body so they can bury him. And because they are part of the Sanhedrin, Pilate agrees. But at the same time, he sends soldiers to make sure that Jesus is dead, as well as hasten the death of the two criminals on the cross. Now, we know that the Romans used crucifixion as a means of extreme torture so that criminals would suffer a long time. But the hanging weight of a body on the cross would not let a person fill their lungs with air, and they would quickly die of suffocation. So a ledge was put on the cross just under the feet that even though it caused extreme pain, a person could use their legs to push their body up to get air in their lungs and let their body down. With this, a person could actually survive for days with just water or liquids. And when death had to be hurried, though, they would break their legs and they would die within minutes because they would suffocate. And this is why the soldiers now break the legs of the two criminals on the cross. But Jesus was already dead, and so they did not break his legs. And the Old Testament said that when the Messiah came, he would have no broken bones. And this is another evidence that Jesus was the promised Messiah because his legs were not broken, just like the other two thieves were. But the soldiers did need the physical proof of his death, so they pierced him with a spear just under the heart. And we know that blood and water came out, and they had their evidence with that. So they now now take Jesus' body down, put it in Joseph's tomb, and the body of Jesus is wrapped and buried, and the burial place has a stone rolled over it, and there are guards placed to cover it so that no one will steal the body. His physical body is dead and buried for three days. Now, if this was a normal death, as death comes for us all, then it would stop here. We would be done talking about it. However, this is not a normal death because many people, though, and religions in this world would say, though, that this is a normal death. They would say that Jesus was a good prophet or a good man, but he wasn't the Son of God. And he didn't rise from the dead, and his ministry died with him. However, what separates Christians from other people and other religions is that we believe that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again, he resurrected on the third day. But not only that, we believe that many people saw him, including Mary Magdalene, the apostles, and many more. What a beautiful miracle. Our Savior is risen. Christ suffered, he was crucified, he died and was buried and rose again three days later. So that brings us to the question, though. Do you believe this truly in your heart? As we were breaking down the Apostles' Creed, it is all important to our faith, and each line is important, but this line in particular is the most paramount part of our Christian faith. The fact that Jesus suffered, he went to the cross in our place, died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. But do you believe that? Many did not in that time. But many did. And we all have a choice to believe. We have Old Testament scripture that points to what will happen, what will happen to the Messiah when he comes. We have scripture in the New Testament that points to what he did while he was here on earth. And he rose from the, the dead. There are many prophecies that have been filled by Jesus from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament passage of Psalm 22 It points to one that's being fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22 starts out by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you remember, these are the same words that Jesus spoke on the cross. 
Then later in verses 16 to 18, it says and prophesies, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This is prophesied in Psalm 22, hundreds of years earlier. And this all happened during the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. And this is just one of the many that point to Christ. Not only that, we have passages that were written after the crucifixion that point back to Christ being the true Messiah as well, and that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He died, was buried, and rose again. And 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. The basis of our faith is that Jesus is not dead. He rose from the grave. And we have a choice to make. We can be like the crowd and the religious leaders who mocked and ridiculed and didn't believe in Jesus. Now, if you remember, I said earlier that the thieves, plural, mocked Jesus openly as one of the groups. But it didn't last long for both thieves, because it's never too late to make a choice to believe in Jesus. And in Luke, we have a depiction of one of the best conversions to Christ. A man who was literally dying next to Jesus and who was a sinner and seemed to have started the day mocking Jesus with his fellow prisoner. Legan Duncan said, I don't know whether it was seeing Jesus reviled and not answering back and reviling. I don't know whether it was the calm and majestic manner in which our Lord suffered the pain of the cross. I don't know whether it was perhaps the prayer that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Or I don't know whether it was maybe a word that the Lord Jesus spoke to him on the cross. Or maybe it was a culmination of all those things. But I know this, that the man was drawn into a saving fellowship with Jesus Christ. And finally, at the end of the day, he turned to his fellow mocker and said, how can you say this to, me, to this man? He turned to Christ and said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Christ turned to him and said, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Even as he's dying, Jesus is drawing men into eternal fellowship with God. He's telling us here that everybody needs a savior. Religious men need a savior. Passerbyers need a savior. Condemned criminals need a Savior. We all need a Savior. We all need grace. But the sad thing is that people who don't have grace don't think they need it. So they sit there and they revile the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only when God in his mercy shows you that you need grace that you suddenly realize that everything you need is already there in Christ. So we can say, may God show you your need of grace because the minute we see our need of grace, he will show us who provides it. So in conclusion, though, this passage has covered the gospel in a really compact time, and we see that we all have a decision to make. And I hope and pray that all of you have a personal relationship with the Lord and have made that choice. But if you have not, please consider making that choice today and living to serve Jesus Christ, who suffered and died on the cross in my place and your place. But he defeated death and resurrected again on the third day, and he's alive today. So if you want to talk more about that, Please come chat with myself or another leader, and we would love to talk with you about that. But if you're here and you do believe in Jesus and you have been baptized, we have such an encouragement that we can share, in a way, in Christ's death and resurrection. 
of our own, as Romans 6, 3 to 11 says. And so I want to read Romans 6, 3 to 11 as I close because it's very encouraging that we can see what Christ has done for us. We have a way that if we have lived for him and chosen to live for him, we can participate in a way in that in our own death and burial and resurrection and have done that. So it's from Romans 6, chapter 3 through 11. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, we will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you that we could be reminded today of all that you've done for us. The physical pain, the mockery that you took, but most importantly, the spiritual punishment that you took, Lord, the separation from God the Father. And you took that, that so we no longer have to even know what that's like if we choose to accept and believe what you have done, Lord. And we thank you for that. We pray if there are people here that have not made that choice, that you would be working their hearts right now and stirring their hearts to realize that there is no other more important decision they can make than to believe in you and what you've done. And not just that you are a good person or a prophet, but that you are truly the Son of God who died and rose again and is alive today. And so we ask that uh, we could just give you praise and glory and continue to worship you in song. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.